Hey everybody, the Con Artist here. We're here to talk about our rolling review choice for the summer of 2017. So guys, another round of applause. We freaking picked another one we actually liked. I know. Like, That's holy two crap. in a row. My oh goodness. my gosh, we're on, a, we're on a roll. The next one is going to be awful. That's um, true, yeah, just the worst. We're, we're doomed from here on out. Um, <laughs> just really quick, guys, spoilers for this show. Um, if you're really sensitive to spoilers, we are definitely going to talk all about the show. We hope you've been following the rolling review thus far, but um, if you haven't and you don't know anything about this show, you are going to get spoiled, so beware. Yeah, definitely watch it first, though, because uh, we're going to open up with some of the, okay, rather the few things we uh, didn't like about the show or things that bugged us, just to get those out of the way so that we can devote the bulk of the time to the things we enjoyed, because while there obviously are a couple of complaints, we really love this show. This was probably the strongest one that we've seen so far. We loved Little Witch Academia last season, but as far as, like, just crazy storytelling chops, at least for me personally, this one was just, you know, blew me out of the water. This is like the full package. Holy crap. Yeah, Absolutely. So listen, listen, listen to the end, and if you're getting worried that we're hitting it too hard, I suppose. So I guess right. let's launch right in there. Who's got something that they didn't like? See, I have so little, so I'll just go first and then let you guys go. I think the only thing that... I wasn't terribly fond of, um, and I mentioned this, I think in my last episode that I did, maybe 11, was the weird descents into perversity. Hey, that's these... mine too. Okay. Yeah. Um, there were these oddball moments where, uh, so Rico, who's our lead character, she is incredibly inquisitive. She's very scientific, but, you know, so, so to her, just body, the human body is just, I mean, it's there, it's normal, so she, like, explores Reg's body, who's a robot, the first time she finds him, and it's really awkward, and the show just throws it in there, and there's several instances where she gets naked, and Reg is just, like, freaking out about it the whole time. They'll have these moments where they don't care about that stuff at all, and then they'll have these moments where they're like, oh, oh no, there's nudity, or oh no, we're naked in this pond, and all of a sudden it's awkward, and it's like... It's so random. It's so tonally random, and it really kind of disrupted the scene. Like I don't know. If yeah, it was like be it's funny, this. It's this it kind of was. behavior that just it wouldn't seem out of place in a low grade harem show. But Rico is twelve years old, and it's like, what are you guys going for here? Yeah, it's really the ages of the characters involved that bug me. It's like, okay, yeah, I well, can that kinda... and the tonal dissonance. Like that's honestly. true. Like I could kind of set it aside because, like you said, Sue, you know, she's super inquisitive, and I guess she's not particularly socially adjusted. Like she's always kind of, you know, everyone considers her to be kind of weird. So it doesn't seem completely out of left field that she would just, you know, sort of not care about this. But the fact that they keep bringing it up, even to the final episode, which outside of that is this emotional just roller coaster, mostly on the downward slope. It seems <laughs> yeah. really strange that they would decide to bring it back in, albeit briefly. I still think that they were desperately trying to, like, break up the tension and to them the writers they thought it was funny and i was like this isn't funny no you're no just don't do that yeah like you had funny moments with reg and nachi that were just fine like you i don't think you need this it feels like when you're watching you know some other anime with adult characters and suddenly they take the time out from whatever the normal plot is to do a breast envy session and you're like really what did do what's the point here and it, it felt like that so Whatever. So okay. So that's that's the probably the major one. Yeah, and that's really my only one. I mean, I know I think you guys have like pacing issues, but 
I after I got worried that we were gonna have too many training episodes, that never happened. So I'm canceling out my pacing issue one. So I'll let you guys go because honestly, that was my only real problem with the show. Same here, really. Okay, yeah, that I was guess, the, that was the big one. All right, I mean, I guess everything else goes kind of a minor quibble. Like I had two kind of minor quibbles, which was. Uh, one was like Nanachi, who's this poor orphan from the middle of absolutely nowhere and who has had no human contact. Like she's great at all this herbalism and other stuff. And I'll buy that totally. How does she know CPR and no one else does? Like, really? Mm. Where did that come from? Uh, and the only other one was the it's like Reg meets this black whistle guy who's sort of ascending and gives him this message to take back to leader, which is kind of neat from a story perspective. But how is that guy going to ascend from the fourth later? How did he even make it to this point? He does not look like a crazy uh, sort of modified person like a lot of the white whistles are. He's just like a dude. Well, none of the black whistles are like, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Hodor? Not Hodor. Wow, that's Game of Thrones. <laughs> Whoops. Help me. Hobo. Hobo. Right. Hobo. Thank you, Brendan. Um, Hobo isn't enhanced either, and he's a black whistle. Sure, it's just like we've seen the terrifying things that happen when you try to ascend in the fourth layer, and there's this guy standing in the absolute middle like, how did how did you get here? And how do you get back up? How do you get back up, dude? I think it's a matter of speed, pacing, and training. I think that's how they excuse it, but I don't know for certain. Yeah, it just seemed weird. What was that? This is, I mean, like the, the, the goblets of giants are like, that is where black whistles are allowed to go that, you know, low, uh, lesser ranks aren't. So, like, they've... Uh, the other thing it, is yes. they mention, uh, and Scott, you were the one who actually reminded me of this when we talked about it the first time. They that one time Habo gives them like a medicine, the vaccine against the second yeah, layer's effects. Second yeah, second layer. So my guess is that's your cue to understand that there are other more powerful vaccines that help, and that maybe the black whistles have access well, to like, or know more about. I think that was for something he called dive sickness, which. I, I thought it was uh, separate from the curse. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's maybe it's something like that. But just sort of like and like the weirdest part is you look at the guy. He's just sort of this old man-looking guy in a regular outfit. Like he doesn't. He's not carrying any equipment that makes me say, "All right, yeah, he can make it down here." So whatever. No, he definitely wasn't up to the uh, Tamachan. <laughs> well, right, exactly. Like, and none of these. Of course, he's not going to be like Ozen or anything, but. Well, yeah, no, yeah, no, it one, was no one is. It was, it was odd. odd, but that's all I had. So I think that's that sounds like everyone's everyone's negatives. So really quick before we get well, into oh, sorry, Brendan, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, the um, I think they spent a little bit too much time at the seeker camp, and they had to break up the episodes a little weirdly to do it because mm -hmm. uh, I think the end of the the end of the second seeker camp episode, or was it the first? I don't, it was whichever one ends on the. Oh, cube. that was the first one, or the first one yeah, that that's they a spend really time weird, there. But that's a major right, cliffhanger right. point. Yeah, it's you know what it is though. It's like and it doesn't. It's not under. It's not weird for it to be here. Like Ozen was the last person you saw carrying it. Of course, it's going to be at Ozen's house. You just don't know what it does. And yet, yet. there's this long lingering so it's, it's shot like it, on it. Right. It's like okay, it's the thing. Why is it significant exactly? And then like next episode, they explain to you why it's significant. It's just a little odd. Hmm. So as I you can imagine, so. if that's if that's all we have to say about it, uh, I mean, bad, I guess. Yeah, it's it's really good. So I guess really quick before we get into the good stuff, Brendan, I I wanted to know because uh, this was actually your suggestion. So let me just tell you, I looked at this title 
um, when we were looking at shows, I blew right past this mentally because it looked like a show for five-year-olds with these adorable little characters. So for people who haven't seen it, it has these really super cute style characters in it. Uh, don't be fooled, by the way. It's it's not that. <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, all right, this is one of those adorable shows for five-year-olds where kids go on an adventure in a pit. And you were the one who cued us in. So have you had you read the manga? I guess we're... Where did your desire to pick nope. this one come from? I don't know. I just, I read the synopsis on the live chart and I was like, man, that sounds kind of cool. Uh, top three of the, uh, the ones that I was looking at. Okay. So totally lucky um, pick. Mostly a lucky pick. I did pick up a little bit, uh, later than my initial, uh, interest in it that it was going to get dark. Like there were. I forget exactly what I was reading, but there were comment threads where people were like, by the way, this is going to get dark. Yeah. And, it and indeed it does, does in a hurry. Oh, it, it does. Yeah, but it, that's the, th uh, the thing I appreciate about this compared to, like, Brendan, I know you've, you've uh, given us information or shown us other shows that take a somewhat similar tack of, you know, cute or otherwise, you know, innocent uh, people, kids usually ending up in horrifying situations. Uh, things like Boca Renault come to mind or uh, Alien 9. And what I like about this one over those ones is, A, it's not always unrelentingly grim. Like, there's always the knowledge in the background that where this, you know, where these kids are is absolutely terrifying. But there are moments where, you know, we can, ta we can take a breath. There we can be calm. We can, you know, have some moments of levity. Um... Whereas this other one feels like it's forcing this like overly, at least not not maybe not Boca Renault, but Alien Nine always felt like it was you know kind of really enforcing the cute the cutesy angle, because they were deliberately going to slam the door on you, uh, and give you the you know give you the nasty like this is what it's really like. Aren't you? Don't you feel like a sucker for thinking this was you know cute and sweet? Whereas with this one, it's like no guys, y you know this is cute like this looks cute and sweet and all, but like we're telling you, this is gonna get bad. Yeah, it felt like a bait and switch. Hmm. Yeah, I like I that the so. show sort of doesn't wallow in misery. Like, bad things happen as easily as good ones in the show, and the suffering of the main characters when it happens sort of feels like the natural consequences of what they're trying to do, like go into the abyss, rather than the show having it out for them. Exactly. Uh, well, I mean, Mitty accepted, mm. I guess, and I think yeah. we'll get to, to her later. Well, the other thing is, I think this segues us nicely into the art. So we keep mentioning that the characters are adorable and drawn in a way that would trick you. Uh, the rest of the world is not. Uh, the art in this show is stunning. I mean, just beyond stunning. It has this gorgeous realism to it. And right in episode backgrounds one, in particular. holy oh, yeah. cow, backgrounds, just creatures, just insane detail. And it's one of those, like... The, the, that moment, I remember, Dan, when you did your presentation on Moribito and why it was so good, you, you had this shot, the money shot. <laughs> um, you have a shot of, of money, and you're like, this shot lasts for a solid two seconds, and it's so beautifully drawn. You know, someone took the time to pause and do this for this shot that was effectively throwaway. It's like that. Like, there's shots at one point where they find uh, Rico's mother's... Uh, notebook and she has these hand-drawn sketches in them i mean they must gloss over these things for maybe a minute maybe i'm stretching it and they are just beautifully drawn just just 
like even more beautiful than some of the backgrounds even they're like they took all this loving detail into a shot that's just there and gone instantaneously and uh the creatures are no joke i mean it was it episode one where rico nearly gets eaten so you're like okay the kids are adorable and that's fine, but nothing in here is adorable. That that thing just straight up tried to eat her in the yeah, face. Yeah, like yeah, the characters are sort of like rounded, soft designs. The majest, uh, the backgrounds just sort of have like a stark majesty to them, and then the monsters just have this sort of feeling of otherness, like this terrifying, weird animation style that says these guys are not like anything else. And so, especially in the first three episodes, yeah, and the juxtaposition yeah, of those three things later, but... really works. Yeah, you're right. They do. They sort of toned it down later, but it worked but they very are terrifying. well. I mean, everything in there is trying to kill them, and you get that really early on. Yeah, well, except those little those little mouse critters from the the Neri yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so cute and edible. Mm-hmm. And um, oh my gosh, <laughs> and water bear, water bear. They have little mustache. <laughs> so yes they're the, so cute so yes the art is gorgeous yeah backgrounds especially uh the creature designs are pretty excellent you know sort of they've got kind of that monster hunter sort of vibe to them where they're you know they're there's many of them are huge and majestic but also i don't i don't know if they're like in, they're not inherently monstrous by their nature it's just their size and their ferocity that makes it like that like you could look at that um uh the orbed piercer and if you didn't know that that thing's spines were capable of punching through uh through steel you'd think oh it's basically a porcupine bear like yeah okay it's big and i don't want to be like near it but when you see it in action is when you truly understand just how terrifying it is well also it can see the future there of. is that too well <laughs> it, it can see it, sense, your... it can sense the future to a, to a very limited degree well, not so much the future as what you plan to do because of uh, the way that your consciousness rests in the abyss's curse. Right. It's basically seeing a preemptive echo of your actions. It's kind of freaky. This is why it's important to bring multiple people with you. Mm. But uh, yeah, so beautiful creature designs, often, you know, terrifying for different reasons other than just their appearance, like those freaking weepers, the... Uh, these They're just conceptually that, the horrifying. Corpse, the corpse, the corpse weepers? weeper. Yeah, oh my they, gosh. they mimic they mimic the voices of humans to draw well, the, of, of other the, humans of the humans to them. they just killed, basically. Like whatever yeah. their they last words were. Their dying voice, specifically, of your cries yeah. for help to try to attract others that might come to assist you so that they can eat. And them. they're like, what, layer one or two? They're like two. I think two, they're two. Yeah. They're layer two. Like, and they're like, not well, that's super far down. It's like, wow. Super awful. <laughs> Why do we have that? But again, it's like, there's no there's no malice in any of these things. They are beasts through and through. Like the orb- Well, that's the amazing part, right? Is that they... They really give you this sense that the whole place is a living, breathing entity, and that like an ferocity ecosystem. comes from nature itself. It's yeah. like this is just the nature of the abyss. It's not evil. There's, like you said, there's no malice. It just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they None do a really the- good job of, of showing or telling, too. Like a lot of sentences, like sort of narration sentences, are devoted to that end. And they do a good job of showing it as the characters traverse. Exactly. And yeah, just to go back to the backgrounds uh, for a little while, while the cre- the creatures all have this you know very alien look to them, this sense of otherness, like you said, uh, the backgrounds have some of that as well. At the beginning, they look you know fairly 
I won't say normal, but you can recognize everything. You know, there's large plants. There's kind of this stepped terrace pattern yeah, as cliff, we're going cliff in. Cliff faces. You know, stuff. lots of lots of uh, waterfalls and that kind of stuff. Then, as you go down, you get into like these this inverted forest and this crazy like vertical cliff face. And by the time you reach the Goblet of Giants, the Goblet of Giants like left me gobsmacked. It just uh, um, when I saw that for the first time, just it's these enormous. Uh, I don't know if they're like fungi. They're some kind of massive plant with this dish-shaped top that is all filled with water. And it just, it looks so unlike anything that I've ever seen in real life, but at the same time, totally plausible. So Yeah, like you'd believe that something like that could develop from what the characters are talking about. And you're like, well, it's, right, yeah, wow. it's almost got that like rainforesty unnaturalness where you're like, okay, I guess I could see how you could develop that way. But at the same time, you're it's otherworldly. There's that uncanny valley there where you're like, I believe, but my my brain is on, teetering on the edge of having a hard time processing. Yeah, which is perfect for the abyss because it is supposed to be this strange primordial world that humans were never meant to venture into. Well, at least after whatever happened to whoever lived there originally. Right, because there are all of those relics and like hints of civilization about. So and clearly, other people boats sticking out of walls for some reason. Yeah, in whatever position. The prairie. Yeah, the, the praying the praying skeletons. Bodies. Yeah. Who they dated back to like a hundred years before humanity officially found the abyss. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, definitely. But then, and then, uh, like, and also it gave a lot of good obstacles for the characters. Like at the beginning, Reg is just like, oh yeah, rocket arm, rocket arm, rocket arm. I can do anything I want. But, Go down these cliffs, exactly. cross these By cliffs. the time he makes it to the Verticave, it's like, nope, that's not going to fly down here. Like, you gotta, you got to find your own way around. Or welcome to a place with an, with an infinite and unending vortex and crazy howler monkeys. Yeah, both of those things are just great. Like, you're... Your little arm isn't going to work so great here. Yeah, so they have to, like, while his arms always retain their usefulness, again, the crazy Exendo arm is, you know, his really, other than his super-powered, like, nuclear blast thing, that's his primary, like, defining trait. He's he's tough, he can blast things into oblivion, but it causes him, you know, it causes him to pass out for, like, four hours, and he's got the Exendo arms, and the Exendo arms, unsurprisingly, are what get the most utility, and they never stop being useful, but they always find, you know, ways to either make it more interesting or to give him a challenge as to how he's going to use them. Right. Yeah, it's hmm. it's quite extraordinary the way they um they give you this character who you think is going to just manage to move around the map, so to speak, with such ease, and then they take away that ease as rapidly as they give it to you. So impressive. Yeah, still, those those kids make crazy time, like considering how deep this place is supposed to be in meters. True, but they are, you know, they are on a mission, That's um, true. which I guess brings me, you know, from the environments and the art a bit, I'd like to talk just a, briefly about the world building that they set up. And while this is mostly front loaded into the show in the first couple of episodes, one of the things that I liked about this is because our show is focusing mainly on children. Uh, one of the things that we see early on is this sort of pantomime, this like crazy play that is put on with uh, this like mechanical puppet show almost where they're showing, you know, they're explaining... Oh, the, the whistles and their, their different yeah. types, sort of. They explain yeah. the general concept of the Abyss and then, like, what each of the ranks of the whistles is. Uh, you know, how there's the trainees, there's the blue whistles who are kind of like the, you know, the the general, the base level uh, cave divers, and then you've got um, the purple whistles above them as instructors, and then 
black whistles and so on until you get to, you know, the white whistles who are these, you know, mythic figures. And the only one that they really talk about when they're on the surface is um, Rico's mother. And well, even then they don't give you a lot of detail like, oh, yes, Liza, the Annihilator who we're not going to really tell you why she's called that. Exactly. So it's like, Ugh, hmm. well, they talk a little bit about her quest to find the unheard bell and how she wrecked a whole bunch of dudes that were competing like from outside of Earth. Oh, right. right. Yeah, she just, you just know that she's well. hella rad. That's what you need to yeah. know about Liza. Yeah, pretty much. But, but again, because all of these, all of the major characters initially are children, having it explained to us as if we were children is a great way to introduce us to what's otherwise this very complex and bizarre world. So it's like, okay, now you've given us the basics. We can, you know, we can build up our understanding from there. And like Scott said, the narration and other things that we learn in Rico's constant, Later, like, note-taking. The Nachi's, the Nachi's story time with, it, with, like, little, what do you call it, those little paper things she has. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, those little, like, hand tablets. Yeah, like so those, cute. those cannot be easy to make. Why do you have all of those? Because <laughs> right. she's awesome, yo. She, she has nothing awesome. but time on her hands. Yeah, that's, exactly. Maybe she made one that was erasable. That's true. She does mm. have nothing but time on her hands down there. So yeah, like we're given, we're basically given a really great introduction to the world, and the more we learn about it, the more you know, the more we understand just how heavy of a uh, task these kids have taken on. Like, yeah, undeniably. Know, especially with the crayon drawings of the consequences of going oh, up. Oh, yeah. Like, don't oh, go up. Don't go up. Trust us. Yeah, just don't do it. Um, That's going to feed a little nicely into uh, some of the themes I found fascinating. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I kind of made up my own theme, which I found absolutely intriguing. So my episode, my first episode that I got was one of the ones with Ozen, who is also a white whistle. And Ozen has this big, long diatribe all about how she's entertained at the fact that uh, Rico thinks that she's going to just travel to the bottom and find her mommy and everything's going to be great. And she's like, do you even realize what the Abyss is? The Abyss is God. The Abyss is God itself. And the reason nobody knows what the bottom looks like is because we can all keep it status quo that way. People don't really have religion anymore, but they do believe the abyss is mystical. And that, that like hit me like a ton of bricks because when I started wrapping a lot of the, the bigger elements into that pivotal idea, it was like, so I'm going to spoil you now. The White Whistles are highly deformed individuals. Having gone back and forth uh, in and out of the abyss, they are deformed and scarred and many of them, you know, you don't look human anymore. I believe it's sixth layer that you aren't going to come out human. You sp you're not even supposed to come out at all. But a lot of the white whistles have just, they've manipulated their bodies. So they are very clearly not human. And a lot of them don't even function above ground anymore. So I, my, my thought process was, you know, the, the closer and closer you get to meeting God or whatever it is at the bottom, the more of your humanity you seem to lose. And at a certain point, you get so close to God. It's kind of like Icarus. You fly so close to the sun, you can't come back. You're going to burn in the sun. You're, you're never coming out. You're going to die down there or you're going to become something that's so far from human. It's disturbing. And, and I found that just amazing. And it was this theme for me personally that permeated, that made the whole trek terrifying it made the whole show terrifying it added this layer of fear to the show 
from that uncertainty and that big plot point I kept bringing myself back to that just hit me like a ton of bricks in a way very few other shows do and because it reinforces its theme all the time like those little crayon drawings are adorable but when they hit they hit so hard like in episode 10 Rico tries to come up out of fourth layer yeah it's it's mortifying it's absolutely Ugh. mortifying. It's it's one of the most terrifying things I've seen in yeah, a it's long rough, time. Rough to watch. I just I, you know I felt slightly nauseous watching it happen, watching her bleed out of every orifice, and it was it felt like that. It was like this is what happens when you get closer and closer to God, and the closer you get, the harder it is to run, the more you begin to lose. And so, I kind of I, I really felt like the show pushed that theme on you and then just kept reinforcing it over and over again in a way that was horrifying until you hit the last couple episodes where I mean it just it just took my emotions and ran them over with a bulldozer <laughs> while I didn't necessarily pick up on I I remember the conversation and looking back on it the way you described it I can totally see that coming uh coming out across the rest of the show I think it happens more than yeah. once it's like somebody else says it. I think, yeah, someone else besides Ozen did use a similar... Um, a... Oh, I think it was Nanachi was talking about it in, the, in her flashback. Right, and that was one of the things that I thought made the White Whistle so interesting, is they are these you know these big mystical figures. And Ozen, like, from a character design standpoint to just how she re interacts with everyone, is probably my favorite character in the whole thing. She is, Ozen is the best character. She is she is terrifying, but at the same time, you know, fascinating. And she's, you know, she's manipulated her herself to become, you know, strong enough to withstand the abyss and is just a powerhouse. Then you have uh, you know, we learn more about uh Brendan, you're the only one who can pronounce this guy's name reliably. Bondred. Bondord. Bondrud, Bondred. It, it sounds more like Bondord when they say right. it. But, like, he, when you see him, has, like, this robot head, and, you know, you never see his skin. He has, like, a lizard tail in yeah, that one shot. He... He's got some sort of, like, metal tail or something. You're like, what are you? Well, I don't you? know if I caught that. Yeah, there's that one shot at the very end when this event happens and he sees a light go out and he's like, oh, good for you. And it's a shot from the back and he has a tail. Huh. And I was like, good gracious, what are you? Well, he's, yeah, I mean, at the very least, he's like heavily borged up. I don't know exactly what the extent of it is, but I suppose we're going to leave that uh, for the future. But, you know, he is, yeah. You know, Second season. Yeah. Let's hope I so. hope so. He's like, yeah, he's like this crazy cyborg. Ozen is similar, but she's using like these weird, like, strength enhancing, like, biomechanical stud things that, uh. She's, like, wedged into her yeah. body. And. Like, in 120 places. Right. And one of the things that makes, um, Liza, uh, Rico's mother, unique is that she seemed to be, among all of the White Whistles, the ones, of, or at least the ones that we have encountered or had described, she still seemed to be the most human, but she was still con constantly being drawn to the abyss. She had gone so deep in that she had to go back. It was, they talk about it more in the second uh, half of the first season, there's this longing, this yearning uh, to see more of the abyss, to go back, to return. So even knowing the insane dangers, everyone who goes in there feels drawn back to it because everyone, you know, everyone, no one makes any bones about how terrible the abyss is. Like, but they all seem to sort of just mentally gloss over the fact that, yeah, going back here is probably going to kill all of us, but they'll do it anyway. 
but we have to know. Exactly. Yeah, sort of like the sort of like we, the, we have to keep mapping. We have to keep exploring. Yeah, the adventuring spirit sort of taken to its extreme. But it's almost you know it's almost an addiction by the end of it, especially when you consider the the symptoms of coming withdrawal. out of it. This <laughs> yeah, this withdrawal that you know hits you know as we saw with Rico hits like a ton of bricks. It is one of the most more as you said, Sue. It's one of the most mortifying things I've ever seen, animated or otherwise. Horrifying. But Dan, it's funny you should say that about people being drawn. Uh, I capped a, a picture when I was watching the show because there was a quote the narrator gave that, that was just profound to me. And it said, longing seizes people more powerfully than poison and more deeply than illness. And I was like, oh, now that's a way to phrase that. Yeah. So, you know, when you guys talk about just we got to keep going, we got to keep digging, we got to find. And they know what happens when they fly too close to the sun and try and come back. But yet it. No one ever stops. Yep. Especially uh, Bonjud. He's going to get there, man, by any yeah. means. Like, you're like, Ooh. oh, man, look at, look at this guy. No, not very nice guy. Not at yeah, all. He's like the devil. Well, that's the thing about him, though, is that he is in... He is the, he is one of the best kinds of antagonists, because... Because he knows he's he knows he's right, and he knows what he he's doing he's is... He thinks he's right. Yeah, he thinks he's he thinks right. He's he, right. He knows that he is right. Uh, we we can we can, yeah, we can watch him that, and say nah, uh but well he believes his motives are good right yeah he's, he's essentially right. and yeah and plus like these kids they're gonna have short pointless lives on the surface anyway why not have them do some good by being experiments right because he's trying to unlock the mystery he's trying to unlock the deepest mysteries of the abyss and understand the curse possibly with the idea that he could eventually find a way to make people immune to it, or at least resistant to it. But for him, it honestly seems to have just become about the about the knowledge. He doesn't seem to care about the practical implications. At least he's never mentioned that. Oh, I think he does. He would, like he very much says, I want to find a way around oh. this. So like with the implication that I yeah, want to go to layer six. He wants to see layer six. See shit and come I suppose back. so, but it's and maybe it's just for him, but like he totally wants to go down there. Yeah, he has no he has no greater altruistic goal, simply I, it's like I need to go further, like you said. I need, like you said, Sue. I need to be closer to whatever it is down there. I need here. to be closer to whatever it is down there, and that that theme hits like a ton of bricks. So, mm -hmm. especially because he's so dispassionate about it, he's just like he's like, no, of course, this is how this is what I have to do. He's he's willing to you know use these children in experiments, not because he doesn't see them as human, but he simply doesn't care. He doesn't have any moral compunction about anything anymore. He is completely um, amoral. Yeah, that, that becomes rough real late. Um, so getting into some of the, the characters, I, I, I liked the characters a lot, I think. So lead character Rico has an unboundless <laughs> optimism. Irrepressible optimism. Look yeah, it's go. just, it's, it's unreal. And... In a way, it's good that it's unreal because you as the viewer are always feeling this intense sense of uncanny and horror. And you're like, this oh. is awful. Oh, child, don't go down there. Don't touch yeah, that. Please don't go. It's evil. Please just come back. And and Reg, you know, sort of feeds into what you, the audience, usually feel. He's always on alert and such. So uh, he he kind of plays... A little more straight, <laughs> it doesn't, and he opposes Rico's crazy optimism. But together, they are a pretty fearsome duo. So it's nice to watch them overcome obstacles. I like that a lot. Mm. Um, 
Ozen is best character. I don't care what you guys say. Good job, Dan. <laughs> Ozen is best character. Um, late in the game, we we meet Nanachi, and I think I'll let one of you guys take her. Um, cause... you know what? She's she's enjoyable to watch because she's just mean enough to make her seem a bit callous, which makes sense given her character, without being sadistic. And I think they they struck a good balance there. Go ahead, Dan. She reminds me of um, she reminds me a bit of Susie from uh, Little Witch Academia in terms of just how she bit, interacts yeah. with other people. You know, always you know keeps people at a bit of a distance and is just bitingly sarcastic. It seems to be a, a defense mechanism, and I can't say I blame her for it. No, she needs it. Yeah, because she is one of those exper. She's the result of one of those experiments of uh, Bondruder. It's true. So, Scott, is it time for Mitty? I think it'd be time for Mitty, the, the oh. horrifying existence of poor Mitty, who's like one of the worst examples of what the experiments can do. Ready for this show to not be for kids? Meet yeah, Mitty. Right. Meet Mitty, who is immortal but also in pain all the time. Uh, not and has just no, that. Also has no way of, of defending herself from anything and is like horribly deformed. Yeah, she's basically a blob of flesh with barely identifiable like elements of human uh features like one you know one human eye you can see uh you can see what was you know once a mouth hands and uh yeah she's sort of like if uh the, the sort of the creature at the end of akira stabilized uh and what that would look like so well, for everyone following David along Cronenberg in the rolling review i have on. a shot of midi in my i think it was like episode 11 it's like I actually I wrote it in the cast or in the review, but I actually like recoiled for a sec, just like mentally when I saw her character. I was just like, oh, like it's it's really quite frightening and disarming because exactly like Dan said, there's the semblance of parts that used to be human. So even before you know what happened to her, your mind is trying to piece it together and going to horrible places. So yeah, it's, which, it's quite unnerving. Yeah, which, I mean, that leads to stuff later on. I mean, so the, the characters eventually sort of make an important decision about her. And I really felt that the way they went about doing that was sort of a, like endemic of the show in general. Like it was thought out and it was sort of a mature thing to do. Uh, and also like because the show isn't the kind of show where the heroine's going to cry tears that save someone or the power of love is going to overcome all obstacles. Like we said, the world doesn't have any, you know, malice towards you but it also doesn't have any sympathy uh which i think is really rare in anime and really shows here uh, with what they have to do yeah that's a lovely clinical way of putting it i cried that's what yeah. you need to know i cried at, at the finale of this so episode 11 uh gives you a little bit of backstory on nanachi and and midi and kind of uh give, you know gives you that understanding of of how they started out and what Nanachi really wants for Midi. 13 is like being hit by a bulldozer and then being backed into and then being hit again. It's so painful. Like when you actually finally see what happens to Midi, kind of like episode 10, there is no, nothing held back. Nothing. Like it's so brutal and the finale is so heartbreaking it's just, it's so painful. And, like, I'm tearing up a little bit talking about it now. It, it was 
really, really hard for me yeah. to watch that. I don't know if it's like maternal instinct or something, but watching children get melted is the most mortifying thing on earth. It's yeah, because we've the thing is, is that we see the result before we saw we see what caused it. So our mind is even though our minds already like we know what's going to happen throughout the episode where we're flashing back to um, Nanachi and Midi before they became what we see of them in the earlier in the show before it is like before, we know where they end up and we have an idea before too long about how it's going to happen. But even no, and so knowing that we're just constantly on edge because Oh God, we know what's going to happen. It's coming. How long are they going to make us wait before this happens? But there's no relief when it actually does like finally happen. It's just, uh, like you said, it's just awful. Hmm? Awful. Yeah. It's unbelievably hard to see. And again, I, with something like this, I would normally be a little bit skeptical almost because I found that a lot of shows that try to do not exactly like this, but whenever a show tries to make you feel bad for a character, it feels very deliberate. The, the emotional manipulation is very blatant in this because we have come to understand these characters and because the show in general is just so well-written and so well put together with so much thought put into every aspect of it and how, you know, how every action leading up to this point has gotten us to where we are. Because of all of that, I didn't feel that same kind of emotional manipulation. It was simply, it's like, it is simply, let us show you something that is incredibly difficult to handle. We're not doing it because we want to pull the rug out from under you. We're not doing it just because we want to, you know, sucker punch you. They build up to this. You are warned from day, from basically day one that something like this is coming, but nothing prepares you for the actual, like, execution. Hmm. Yeah, it's brutal. It's really brutal. Yeah. I mean, it does a, it does an incredible job leading you there and, and taking you through it. It, it makes sure you understand it from tip to tail. I mean, this is not, like, one of those quick cutaway shots. This is not, like... It's, they devote a whole episode to it, practically. So... Yeah, and actually, the, the hardest part for me may have been Reg and Nanachi talking about, like, why they needed to do this. Right. Like, listening to sort of Reg have to, I guess, bargain with himself over what he's going to do next. That was really hard. Hmm. It's what can you what can you do for someone who's essentially who's essentially trapped in a prison of their own body, with as you know we have seen no hope of returning to what they were. Right, and a potential like life of endless torture and pain if they don't deal with it now. Right. So very, very rough situation, which the show executes well. It's so. true. It does. It does an incredible job. And like I wrote in in my thing of the last episode, I I was particularly struck. Not that I wasn't struck by anything else in that episode, but by like Reg's uh, assessment of Nanachi and and her like her life with Mitty and what he thinks is going to happen when Mitty is uh is uh isn't there anymore. Mm. Right. 
That was that was hard because it's it happens so like just normal like it's just a normal conversation and it it happens he assesses it and you're like oh okay all right and then like you said in in your review brendan it actually is not like a throwaway scene it's quite warranted in in what he asks her and what he you know makes her promise to do so it just adds layers upon layers to that that finish which kills you and this all leads, of course, to the fact that we're getting a second season of this, not right away. This core is probably, it, I mean, almost certainly, right? Yeah. At this stage, this thing is a man. I hope yeah, so. This thing is yeah. apparently done quite well for itself. Um, I don't know the exact details, but from what little I have heard, it sounds like it was very well received. It's it ends on a perfect sort of cliffhanger. It's. You know, you want to know what's going on. It doesn't, again, it doesn't feel like they cheated you. It doesn't feel like they're going to suddenly, you know, spring some new information on you. It doesn't feel like they're dangling something just out of your reach. It's, I want to know where the rest of this goes because I have, because I have built up such an investment in this world and in these characters and what they have gone through that it would be remiss of me to not find out the rest of the story. And it's not a real cliffhanger because they're not in imminent danger. But, but much like with so much of the show, they are yeah, in the abyss. They yes. are in constant, perpetual danger at yeah. all times. Yeah. So it's... I, cliffhanger, but cliffhanger is, you know, I'm using it in a more general term, but you are right. They are not, you know, it is not, you know, they are not now hanging off of a literal cliff entire possi entirely possible in the abyss or about to be eaten by a monster or like have some, you know, villain looming over them. It's merely the fact that they are on a collision course with things. More of the abyss. Yeah, with more <laughs> of the abyss and, you know, people and things. Bondored specifically. People and things that are even worse than what they've encountered up until now. And the mystery of what happened to Liza's mother, which has been sort of set to the side for a very good yeah, reason. Slightly a... teased occasionally, but there's not much yeah, they... development. They keep... that, remi that remains as well. Hmm. So I think we've run a little long, but I mean, obviously, I think we recommend this thing. Uh, sort yeah, of... despite I mean, I wanted all to the say a little bit, Brendan, definitely uh, recommended. Before before we sign off, like right, like um, you know, before. Before we like the the show transitions all the way off of of the midi plot, like I I feel like we do get a very good closure to it when when Rico wakes out of her coma, mm. like the mm, yes uh, yeah her her recounting of of what she you know saw when she was out of it like, really lets you um you know, like mentally. Uh, close that chapter and say goodbye. Yeah, there's a good catharsis. Very good. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, it does a very nice job. So, so it yeah. may not be the feel-good show of the century, but it does <laughs> what it can to, uh, there's to, let you feel closure, to let you feel closure on it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, the show is overall just excellent production quality, excellent... The music, the music is fantastic. The music oh is awesome. Highly, yeah, we didn't get to talk enough about the music, but it is fantastic. It's good. 
very much it's never inappropriate it never feels like you know it never jars you out of the uh of the scene it always from my recollection anyway always feels appropriate and just does its best to either heighten the tension or sort of let you kind of take in the grandeur and majesty of the abyss because mm. you know for all of its terror this place is amazing to behold so they're always interested in finding out more they kind of they give you some of that longing that some of that desire to keep on going even though you know that this show is going to you know rake your emotions over the coals mm. and as someone who isn't really into the the whole violence aspect um this show handles it just with an enormous amount of grace, like Dan said, you're really warned, and when it happens, there's no shying away, and you you feel like you belong. So yeah, you're it's not, as it's not constant mortified. either. No, it's not constant. They lead you no, there, certainly. and there's there's breaks in between, but um, you are you know you're invited into the abyss for all its good and all its bad, and it's an incredible journey through it. So I don't think we can recommend the show enough. Definitely check this one out. Yeah, Absolutely. totally watch it. Just be prepared that it is going to it is going to hurt, and it's always going to get worse before it gets better. It has its moments of levity, and it has its uh, you know moments of genuine like you know joy and happiness, but they inevitably come in between moments of incredible hardship. Hmm. Indeed. All right, guys. Well, that's it for Maiden Abyss. Be uh, be sure to get on top of that. <laughs>